We really work on the culture, the generous culture and that reciprocity you talked about, Will, which is the more you put in, the more you're going to get out. And it feels good to support other people. Like it is something that we as humans enjoy and is meaningful. So we, we try to celebrate that culture of generosity. What's up, everybody? My name is Ish, and I'm the founder of Virtually. And this is Reshaping Education, where we discuss the future of higher education, including online trade schools, boot camps, ISAs, and so much more. Hey, everyone. This is a rebroadcast of the Future of Education Club, which is a weekly talk show that Will Mannon and I host every Monday on Clubhouse. This one was with the provost of Alt-MBA, and we spoke about the history of Alt-MBA and a lot of the innovations happening in this space, and particularly the future of business education and cohort-based courses. If you're a regular listener, we'd love for you to give us a follow on your favorite podcast player and a quick review. It really helps get the word out. With that, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hello, everyone. Happy Monday. Welcome back to the Future of Education Club. We are here here every Monday night at 9 Eastern, talking about all things education. Really, Ish and I both work in the space and enjoy talking to other people who work in the space or are building the future of uh, sort of the intersection of education and technology. So tonight, we are extremely excited to have Marie Schott, Schott I believe, on the on the show tonight to talk about Alt-MBA and the Kimbo workshops as well. Ish, if you want to do, if there's a little more context you want to give and jump into our first question here. Yeah, totally. So for those that might not know, Alt-MBA was founded by Seth Godin a few years ago and has just really taken off. And, and so uh, Marie is the provost for Alt-MBA. And uh, yeah, she's joining us today to just talk about the journey into founding Alt-MBA and then scaling it over time. And so with that, Marie, what I'd love to kick it over to you and just hear about, for the audience that might not have the full context, what is Alt-MBA? Who is it for? And then what was your journey to joining the program? Yes. Love it. Thank you, Ish. Thank you, Will. So excited to be here. Hello to everyone in the room. So Alt-MBA is turning five. It's a little over five years old. It started in July of 2015. Like Ish said, it was founded by Seth Godin. And it is a four-week cohort-based workshop. And it's based in time zones. So we have a London cohort. We have an Australian cohort. We have a Eastern time zone, New York. We have Pacific time zone, LA, and we also have a central, so Colorado area. And our cohorts are about 20 to 25 students. We take the class through 13 different project prompts. There are really exciting elements of peer-to-peer learning groups. You have to ship by particular deadlines. So there's a lot of fast pace and you're putting things out there. You're getting feedback as well as doing reflection. So it's a really action-packed four weeks focusing on business and leadership principles, particularly around change making, but a lot of fundamental skills like decision making and goal setting and how to give and get feedback too. So that's a little overview of Alt-MBA. I was a student in Alt-MBA 3, and that was back in January of 2016. And I became a coach after that and have been a part of Alt-MBA ever since then. So joined very early on and we're on. We're about to run Alt MBA forty seven here, starting in two weeks. So it's been pretty exciting. 
Wow. And Marie, this idea of doing cohorts by time zones really fascinating. A little bit of context. Will is the course manager for two massive cohort-based courses, uh, Building a Second Brain and Rite of Passage. So he's the first seat in terms of kind of the journey to scaling those programs. And one of the things that I don't believe that they're doing, Will, correct me if you're wrong, if, if I'm wrong, is that you guys don't break up students by time zones. Is that right? Yeah, it's interesting. We do the main live sessions with the instructor. So that'd be Tiago for Second Brain, David Perel for Rite of Passage. Those main live sessions are three times a week at the same time. So everybody joins the same time. We do have these mentor groups where students join mentors and those serve all the different time zones. But yeah, each cohort we pick, okay, is this Europe friendly or Asia friendly? And uh, we don't have separate cohorts for time zones. It's one big cohort with these subgroups that are more time zone specific. Uh, so yeah, just a little bit different model than than the time zone specific. And Marie, is that something you guys have always done that that time zone? Was that sort of from day one? Or is that something that emerged over time as the demand grew and the number of students that you guys took on grew? It has always been a part of the Alt-MBA format. And it'll vary. We might have three London time zone cohorts, one session, and we might have two Sydney-based time zones. So it'll fluctuate how many students are in each one, but we've always had those core time zones. I think it was around Alt-MBA 10, we added the Sydney time zone. So to give a much more specific experience for Asia Pacific uh, time zones. So we added that one, but there's always been the, the, the North American three time zones and then the European time zone as well. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. And then there are these, it's like multiple cohorts. They're all relatively smaller size where we might have a couple hundred students in a cohort. You mentioned that size, of, say, you know, 25 or so, I believe you mentioned. And I guess one question I've, I've had, so Seth Godin is obviously the name behind Alt-MBA and has done, uh, written a ton of books and has a prolific just creator history and uh, is a really big name. And I'm curious, obviously, he's not teaching all these cohorts, is there like a keynote presentation where everybody comes together and hears from Seth? Does he share a recorded message to new students? Or is it all decentralized to these smaller cohorts and the bulk of the teaching is done by the coaches? Love that question, Will. The project prompts have recorded videos, short recorded videos that feature Seth. So he is teaching some of the concepts. A lot of the prompts though are reading additional articles and having to talk with your peers in your learning group about the ideas and how they apply to the work you're doing. So Seth shows up like other kind of voices and resources in this space. And he certainly designed all the project prompts, but he's not doing any sort of keynote lectures or he's really not a part of the process other than the videos. Cause we really want to focus on the student to student interaction and that this idea of you you have the answers, go through the process, trust the process, and that's going to help you move forward versus Seth being there along the way the whole time. Yeah. And, and Marie, it's really interesting that Seth decided to build an online school back in 2015, 2016, where this idea of cohort-based learning wasn't really popular. Like generally when you considered online education, you would think MOOCs, you would think online courses on Udemy or, or YouTube. It was all async. He introduced a model that was just fundamentally different. And over the past five years, that model has just absolutely exploded. And so I'm curious, like what was the key insight there? And how has it have how have you guys found a way to scale that? Yeah. Seth, he likes to make a ruckus. And at the time I was working with Wes Kayo and Seth really wanted to show that 
It didn't have to be a MOOC. It didn't have to be these content heavy lecture based types of learning online that you could really create an experience that connected people and took people on a journey together. And so when they set out to build Alt MBA, which we've changed a lot of tech platforms along the way, but the core experience is the same. It was really, how do we connect people to do work together? And how do we give them a process to follow to where they're going to be able to discover their potential as leaders, understand the change that they're wanting to make, and those kinds of decisions? Yeah, absolutely. And and it's one of the things that I've heard about the Alt-MBA that you guys really leverage is the peer learning. Why is that so important? The peer learning is a huge part of it is the accountability. I was reflecting on this before we hopped on that when I know that three other people are expecting to see me in a, a Zoom room together, like tonight, where, you know, Ish and Will invited me to be a part of this and I want to show up and contribute and be a part of the conversation with them. But that's a huge motivator to working through really tough things. And so that was always part of the connectivity of, well, peer pressure and peer accountability is one of the best ways to do the things that you might be on the edge about or feeling uncomfortable. And so you're both getting the accountability and the support of other people who are on the same journey as you, which is just a different relationship dynamic that we've found really just is a huge lever in keeping people going and for us to have that 96% um, completion rate. Wow, that's such a great number. The sort of fabled low completion rates of MOOCs and whatnot, say three to 5%. I think a lot of courses are happy if they have, say, a 60, 70% completion rate, but 96% is a whole different ballgame. That's got to be, that's got to be the top that, that there is for online courses that exist right now. So I w- w- just want to continue to explore over the next hour, like how you guys get to that extremely high completion rate. And, and one thing that I'm, I'm really interested in talking about, so I had a call with TK Coleman, who I know is one yeah. of those uh, long time, yeah, all the MBA coaches. And, and something he mentioned, I thought was very interesting. So you have this cohort of 25 students and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, there's, I believe, are there two coaches with that cohort? Is that typically the structure? So the coach to student ratio is usually around one to 10 or one to kind of 12. So yeah, you're getting that coach support and that coach connection as well. Cool. Got it. Got it. So it's a pretty good ratio, but he actually pointed out something where he said, there's a lot of activities and assignments where the students are actually required to figure things out on their own without the assistance of the coach. So maybe could you walk us through an example of this? What would it look like? I think, is it these meetings once a week? And what would be like an activity that the students would be thrown into to figure things out where the coach is holding their hand the whole way, but they actually have to figure things out on their own? Yes, there's so many. With the coaches, we really... So all the coaches are Alt-MBA alumni. So they have been students and they have gone through the journey. So that's a really important element of what we've scaled over time is this reciprocity and and students wanting to give back because they had a really meaningful experience. An example would be if I'm in my learning group and the project prompt has instructions that says, okay, you and your group need to create this slide deck in these formats and you need to put it up on Google Docs. And the instructions are very clear. And the student might follow up to the coach and say, hey, are we doing this the right way? Are, Are we understanding the directions correctly? And the coach will always reflect back and encourage the student to make the decision. So the coach will never, it's not that they won't give answers, but they're going to hold that tension and hold that space so that the student has to decide. And so you're building up your muscle of trusting yourself in that it's not about getting the exact right answer to the project prompt. It's about creating something 
with your group or creating something individually that really is applicable to your work. So that's one example of how a coach wouldn't reassure or clarify the directions. They would encourage the student to decide and support them in that decision. Yeah, that's interesting. And that's like almost a meta skill set you want to build, right? If you're coming back to your company, you don't want to be, right? I think any boss at any company sort of values that initiative. And it sounds like you guys basically structure the program to force people's hand to, to take initiative and to not rely on just always asking when they can have that take responsibility to make a decision like that on their own. So yeah, yeah. That's, 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 that's really interesting. And I am just curious, could you talk, go through the specifics? I'm just thinking back to the call I had with TK. I believe she mentioned is there a session that you meet together as a cohort like on Mondays or once a week, and then you have a deliverable that you have to complete either on your own or as a group? Like maybe it'd be helpful just to walk through like a typical week if there is such a thing, what an average week would look like for somebody on the inside of Alt MBA. Yes. An average week is three live learning group meetings on Zoom. So if we're using the Eastern time zone, New York. I would be meeting with my group on Tuesday evenings from 6 p.m. until 9 p.m. and also on Thursdays from 6 until 9 p.m. And then we have all day Sunday sessions. So you're meeting with your learning group from 9 until 6 p.m. And students can decide how much of that time they want to use as a group. But we encourage everybody to block it off and have that space because so much comes out of those working sessions. And then each time there's a learning group meeting, there's a different prompt that the group is working on or the individuals are working on. Yeah. Got it. And that, that's okay. So the, those weekly cadence meetings and then all day session, if people are working, are they on zoom working or in open office hours where people can drop in and then drop back off and keep working or are people actually on that call all day, either solo working or with the group? Yeah, it's a mix. I think it depends on the, the group and we, the coaches also encourage groups to decide how they want to work together. Mm. So they might stay on Zoom all day or they might say, hey, let's meet for 15 minutes. Let's work for an hour. Let's come back together for 15 minutes. So you see a variety of ways in which groups are using that Zoom space and that connectivity. Interesting. Um, a bit random question, but was Zoom a thing in when Alt-MBA started? Yes. Alt-MBA 3, in January 2016, I used Zoom and... I believe it was part of Alt MBA one and two as well. So it was very early, like the Zoom had, it was new back then, but yeah, we've been using it the whole time. So there's this dynamic. So the courses I help run, it's interesting because we're pretty proud of our completion rates and we have pretty strong completion rates, but there's still this element of, uh, we call it uh, kind of choose your own adventure education where some people have a ton of time to give each week. Maybe they're between jobs and they're doing all the assignments and they're going to the bonus sessions and they can give say 15 hours a week to the class. And it's a five week course, right? Other students come in and they're working two jobs or they have four kids at home and they are only spending the bare minimum or they're just barely getting the assignments or maybe they're only doing half the assignments, but they're still getting the value that they need. So it's this, again, choose your own adventure model of education. I get the sense that Alt-MBA is not that way. There's this commitment to the group where you're either all in and completing everything and following up on everything or all out. Is, is that right? Is it this expectation and, and is, you know, with the higher price point or the smaller cohort size that everybody's doing everything? Or do you have any of this choose your own adventure sort of style that we have? Love that. We have, we are keeping you on the hook to your commitment. So the accountability 
aspect is a really big part of it. And we make it very clear at the start that you're making a commitment, you've made a promise to yourself, and you're making a promise to this community of peers that you're going to interact with and support on your journey. And we're, we're not going to let you, we're not going to let you fall off, or we're not going to let you fall off or not do the commitment that you've made. So we make it really clear from the, the starting in the application process as well. And having the coaches and having we share a schedule ahead of time, there's a lot of onboarding and organizing that we put in so that when the, the workshop starts, everyone really is clear on when we're working together, what the commitment is and trusting the process. Got it. And I'm wondering, do you think that it's because, partly because maybe it's a bit narrow domain where you use this term MBA and, and from my understanding, you guys market yourselves to people who are specifically in a business career looking to advance your career. Do you think that because it's maybe a bit more domain specific, you can hold people to a higher standard, right? I'm just wondering, it, it just, I'm hearing exactly what you're saying. And I don't see how that translates to our courses, but maybe it's because our courses are more, oh, you want to ex- exercise your personal or improve your personal creativity and, and say, go write more. That it's almost like it's more elective where this is more tied to people's careers. Do you think that adds an element of seriousness? I'm just trying to understand because we have a, a different dynamic in our courses and like what accounts for you guys being able to hold students to that type of standard? Yeah, that's a fascinating question, Will. I, my sense is that on average, a person is on our mailing list for a year before they commit to taking all MBA. So they've thought about being a part of it for a while. So it's not something they're deciding quickly. It's a decision that they've made over time, more, more often with the students that we have coming in. And my sense is that they really want to figure something out and they really want to change something that either they're feeling stuck or they want to level up into a new role or there's some there's something that they wish was different. And so they're coming in hungry for figuring out what that is. And so I think there's the higher price point is also you're making an investment. The ways in which we're keeping people accountable to that commitment, I think also play into it. And then just the relationships that get built over that synchronous, I'm meeting with this group three times a week and we're working on really challenging projects together. And if I don't show up, I'm going to hear from several other people that I didn't come and that they're going to be looking for me too. I don't know if that's answering your question. I can go a little more specific. And I see Yash is here too. If Yash, you want to weigh in with any thoughts? Yeah. Hey, welcome up, Yash, by the way. Yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, by the way, three UVA grads up on the stage tonight, so that's pretty cool. But Yash, welcome up, and we'd love to hear if you have thoughts on that, or I know you've been all time coach before, so welcome back to the, the Future of Education Club. Uh, yeah, excited to be back. Just came in to really overhear all of you guys kind of chat about this topic, but yeah, wahoo wah on the UVA side as well. I think the only thing I would add to what Marie already said is that the social dynamics change within every session of Alt-MBA, and they also are different within every cohort. So the, I think part of the magic is what Marie was talking about. How do you get students bought into the experience before they ever arrive? But then the rest of that journey is, especially in that first week, how do you get students who are then there to willingly commit? Because it doesn't work 100% of the time, but it works 99% of the time. And so knowing that is what you're looking for, whether it's coach culture, the way that students interact over the Slack, building that sense of connection really quickly and very effectively is something that's hard to do and needs to be tailored to every type of learning environment that you build, I think. 
Yeah, I love that, Yash. And also, it's making me think about, and Will, you have to tell me if this is a part of your programs. I think the other thing that's really sticky is coming in that an aspect of each project is that you're getting feedback from at least five other students. And the feedback is really like it's sticky where you you aren't getting feedback like that in other interactions or in your workplace or even in relationships day to day. And so that feedback is a really energizing part of students coming together in that social dynamic that Yash is talking about as well. I do have a kind of a quick follow-up to that. With peer feedback, I get it. It's scalable. I think when a lot of people think these cohort-based courses, peer feedback is one of the ways that you can increase the scale of your program. But what I guess my kind of hesitations with it is it, are these peers who are learning alongside me the right people to be delivering this feedback? So for example, I've gone through three cohort-based courses in the last year or cohort-based programs. So I went through Y Combinator last summer, which is a startup accelerator, but you could consider it a cohort-based course. I'm going through On Deck Scale right now, as well as Ship 30 for 30, which is a writing course. And uh, peer feedback is a big part of it. And one of the things I realized is that through all these programs, these people who are my peers, while intelligent and ambitious, are also on this learning journey. And so while getting feedback from them is really valuable, for me, I value the feedback so much more from the instructors, the coaches, the partners who've you know, been in the trenches and have like deep expertise on this topic spanning over decades. How do you guys think about peer feedback when it comes to actually like the value it adds to students? I love that ish. There's a lot. There's a lot there. I would say the quality of feedback in Alt MBA from peers is valuable. And I've heard that the feedback from peers is as valuable as the coach feedback. And we do at the beginning of the program invest in helping students learn what valuable feedback is and even holding space for students to talk to each other about what are you looking for more of? What are you looking for less of? What kind of feedback is is helping propel you forward? So we do create some spaces where we can fine tune and make the feedback better. The way the project prompts in Alt MBA are designed is they're, they're really discovery iterative based. So it's not necessarily expertise. The same, so you don't necessarily need someone who really understands quantum physics because it's about how, what's your process for making decisions? How do decisions, what does it mean for you internally? So there's some self-discovery and self-understanding um, that's happening. So it's it doesn't have to be a subject expert specific feedback. It's We call it generous feedback. And it's where I'm really reading your project. I'm really working to understand what is Ish wanting to build here? What am I seeing in the work that's that's happening that he's presenting on the discussion boards? And how could I ask a question that might help him figure something else out and see a next step? So it's, and that's happening over the four weeks. So you're getting over hundreds of pieces of feedback. And it's this very kind of step-by-step, drip-by-drip. And learning to put your work out there and get feedback is a huge part of the practice too. Yeah. Is that, is that no, kind you, of You nailed up? it. Okay. <laughs> no, you absolutely nailed it. And then that's exactly what I was looking for, which is that peer feedback serves a very different function than feedback from instructors and coaches. It's different. I So I'm a part of these like regular bi-weekly mastermind groups as a part of OnDeck Scale with other post-seed stage CEOs and founders. And the really interesting thing about these masterminds is when we go into them, we have this kind of this idea of a hot seat. Hey, every CEO will bring in a problem that's weighing on them. 
right? And it will do one one of these kind of hot seats each week. And the goal is actually for this person to just convey like, hey, these are the problems I'm facing. These are the bottlenecks that I'm running into. And the entirety of the group, they don't have the answers. And, and so very clearly, the goal is not for each person to go around and say, hey, this is what you should do. It's all about just asking open and honest questions and helping this person find clarity for themselves. It's like you mentioned before, it's a journey to self-discovery. And that is one of the most powerful things about cohort-based courses is it's, it's not that you're going to get all the answers, but you're going to be on this, in this kind of environment where you're with people who are on the same journey. And I think that is powerful because you get that in college. It's really rare to find that after college, unless you enroll in formal postgraduate programs like Alt-MBA. So one thing I just wanted to jump in here in the conversation, just understand that so that peer feedback element, okay, you require people to give uh, feedback on five of their peers work. And I guess that's weekly or with each assignment. I'm curious, what is your enforcement mechanism, if there is one, to make sure people complete that? Talk about this because, again, with our courses, peer feedback is a huge part of Rite of Passions, for example. But we don't require it. It's we, we strongly encourage it. And we say, hey, this is really how the course works. You write a, uh, an article draft, you publish it on the course forum, other people read it, give you feedback. And you give other people feedback. There's this unspoken reciprocity where if you give a lot of feedback, you're going to get a lot of feedback. So students engage with this and really do it, but we don't have a requirement. And I've heard Seth in the past talk about how this isn't traditional school. There's no carrot and stick of compliance and a diploma. And so I'm just curious, do you guys have any sort of enforcement mechanism for that peer feedback? Is it just the norms and the culture? Maybe the application gives it a level of seriousness where people are just willing to be required to do something. But do you guys think about this or is it just a given that you ask people to do it and they do it? Because I love this. And Yash Yash can definitely weigh in because he has played with all kinds of fun little tactics for how to encourage it. We don't require it in that there isn't going to be a consequence. There's not a consequence if you're not doing it. We really work on the culture, the generous culture, and that reciprocity you talked about, Will, which is the more you put in, the more you're going to get out. And it feels good to support other people. Like it is something that we as humans enjoy and is meaningful. So we we try to celebrate that culture of generosity. And one of the things we do, so we use Slack as well as Zoom and we have the platform discourse, which is where students are posting their work in Slack. The coaches might say, okay, put up a high five when you've done your five. So we've created fun little shorthands to create visibility across the cohort. If you're if you've done your part. So there's this generosity and contributing and we're all going to benefit if we show up and support each other. So that's one that comes to mind. Yash, any thoughts or things that you've played with? Yeah, I was going to say, I think there's two things to mention here. One is that we often think of feedback as primarily being for the recipient of it. But one of the things that I think we do a good job of in Alt-MBA is that feedback is also just as much, if not even more, for the person giving the feedback when it's done well. And seeing students realize that they are learning from intentionally exposing themselves to other students' work, thinking critically about other students' work, and seeing the diversity of thought leads to people sometimes even getting addicted to this commenting cycle more than the prompt and the work cycle. 
even thinking about the most recent session of AltMBA that I was a part of, we were looking at the analytics for comments among our cohort of students. And I think 60% to 70%, I forget the exact number, did more than double the required amount of comments because they really just enjoyed it. And then the other piece of this puzzle are all these little mini tactics Marie is hinting at where you can show recognition for really good comments or really thoughtful comments in Slack. You can, we've had even students right from the ground up because you build that culture again of generosity. Do I think the commenting machine was something in a cohort that I loved where they would specifically get together before midnight of that night and say, whose prompts don't have enough comments on them? Let's make sure we as a group curate these thoughtful comments because it can be a lot to surface through a hundred different threads and discourse. And so that culture content the benefit to the student as well as to the recipient of the commenting piece really plays this beautiful symphony of learning for everyone involved in the process. Got it. I'm going to ask one more question here. I want to, I'm really getting into details, but first of all, I'm just interested because this is what I think about all the time, but we also, we had Austin Allred on a couple of weeks ago. He said something that product is subtlety compounded. So it's, the, to me, it's these little subtleties, the things you guys are talking about right now, like the who's done their five, give me five. These are the little things that in isolation, maybe it wouldn't matter that much, but add them up together and you have your 96% completion rate and all that. So I, I love these details. And so one last thing I want to understand here is, Yash, that group you just mentioned where people come together and say, hey, who needs more comments? Is all the feedback happening within those groups, those cohorts of 25? Or like, and in Slack, do people just have visibility into their 25? Or is there also an element of feedback sweeping across the different cohorts? Could somebody in the Sydney cohort give somebody feedback and say the New York or Chicago cohort, or is it really just isolated to your 25? It's spread across. So that I think for me, when I was a student, that was one of the, the coolest parts is I could go comment on a student in London and also a student in Australia. And to Yasha's point about the diversity of perspective, I was learning more by doing that because I was reading about how these issues and ideas impact different parts of the globe. So it you can comment on any of the time zones and you can connect with any student in your session. And we generally have about 120 students in a session. Got it. So then that's a difference in terminology. The cohort is the group of 25 and, and the session is the overall group of 120. Got it. Yeah. Very interesting. No, it's an open question for us, say for the writing course, again, write a passage. Would we require, or not, not require again, but give explicit instructions. Hey, we encourage everybody to leave feedback on, on three pieces or five pieces. We haven't done that. People tend to be pretty good about giving feedback, but just an interesting direction to maybe take it in. So yeah, thanks for, thanks for sharing all that. Yeah. And Yash, I actually, I want to go back to one of the things that you said that I found was really interesting, which is you guys dive into the analytics and you see who's commenting. And right now, as we've seen this explosion of this kind of cohort-based course concept, I think that's something people aren't doing enough of. They're not, they're running these programs, but they're not actually measuring what's happening within them. And I think one of the reasons that's such a tragedy is anything you're doing, any type of curriculum you're delivering, it is so important for you to know how that curriculum impacts the students that are going through your program and be able to iterate on the curriculum or the systems so you deliver a better experience to the students for the, for the next cohort. And so I'm, I'm specifically curious, what is important for you guys to track? And I guess, how do you take that feedback and how do you iterate upon it for the next time you run that program? 
I love that ish. Yeah, yeah. Go. I, all I was going to say is I'm going to pass it off to Marie to, to talk about it more because I know Marie knows I've done a lot of little experiments in the Alt MBA setting and then plenty more outside too. But I'd be curious to hear it from Marie's perspective. Yeah. Yeah, we're beginning to focus more on measurement because as there's more developing the cohort based space, sharing what we know how to do and sharing it to where other people can use it. We're trying to get there and that requires us to have more clarity around measurement. So we can say, oh, you're trying to achieve this or shift this in your cohort based workshop. We've done this and here's the results from that. And we we just haven't spent cycles capturing that because we've really focused on the student experience and the fine-tuning the process, the Alden Bay process. We pay attention to completion rate. So how many students are finishing the workshop, which is all of the projects and reflection scripts and showing up for learning groups, as well as the feedback. And we really, I would say the most tracking we do right now, and and we call it observing, that it's not tracking in the sense that we're trying to say that this is the absolute one way it has to be done. But the coaches are observing the students shipping the work and documenting if the student, what that piece of work was like. And you're getting that individualized attention from a coach and their support and observing your whole journey. So we've really focused there in terms of observing. And that's what we're trying to figure out. How do we turn that into measurements? How do you measure a generous culture? How could we show over time that our culture is more becoming more generous? That's what we're trying to figure out how to measure. So we, it hasn't really been a focus. So I can dig more into that ish. What parts of that are interesting to you? It's all like really fascinating. I, I think the, the student experience is actually particularly maybe something we can dive into because uh, I think you mentioned that that's primarily been your focus. And as going through a bunch of CBCs recently, I realized that this is something that's just so critical. And, and, and so I'm curious how you guys are thinking about like, how to kind of design and give somebody like an amazing student experience in a completely virtual environment when you don't have kind of the ability to have these like intimate in-person conversations and relationships that you can form. It just every everything virtual just feels so much harder. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's becoming even harder because we're all spending more time in virtual spaces and virtual connections. So I think part of Alt MBA's success has been that it is so new and different. And wow, this, I didn't think being connected virtually online could create such a cool experience and that I would be a part of this community. There's almost, there's been a surprise element, a surprise and delight to that, but that's become, it's becoming more common to have really cool virtual experiences. And we really, we focus on seeing each student and spending time with that student and meeting them where they are. So the coaches and the the Alt-MBA process is really like you're able to be with it where you are in that moment. And that's what we've really fine tuned and continue to make better over time is how do we get even better at meeting a student where they are and nudging them and asking questions and connecting them with other students in the workshop that they're really going to be able to uncover some new answers for themselves and really advance their work also. So the student experience really is we, we focus so much on seeing each student and then creating containers where they can meet each other and, and develop relationships with each other. Yeah. And that's fascinating because Marie, almost everybody that I've talked to that talks about like getting an MBA 
they talk about, hey, the education is, yeah, it's important, but it's the network that you do for it. And so with Alt-MBA, it's awesome to hear that there's such an emphasis on making sure that students connect with one another. What happens to those relationships like after somebody graduates? Do you guys have stories about how kind of partnerships or companies have been built from people who have gone through Alt-MBA together? And how do you guys foster the alumni experience? That's something we don't talk about enough on, on this club. We, we have a running joke that we call week one, week two, week three, week four, uh, the kind of stages of the Alt-MBA as, as students are moving through it. And we joke that your week one learning group, you're probably going to stay connected with for the year, at least the year after. And, and I did with my week one learning group. We, we met as a mastermind for six months after the Alt-MBA, after I finished it. And so you see these groups staying together and continuing to support each other. So masterminds, and self-organized masterminds are probably one of the most impactful ways. And we've had several students start companies together, a couple of coaches that have also started companies together. So there's real collaboration and, and things that happen afterwards. And I know, Yash, you have some thoughts on this too, if you want to share. What have you seen happens for students after in that alumni, that community? Yeah. I, mean, I was going to say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a perfect example of one of my first co-founders for the company we're working on right now is an Alt-MBA alum. I think he's here right now, actually, Covington. And beyond that, I've seen stories and heard stories of people attending each other's marriages, finding each other in person. And I think probably one of the coolest things I have found about being a student and being involved in the alumni community afterwards is that in my particular lifestyle, I've been able to meet people while traveling and get together for lunch or dinner. I actually met a group of five Alt-MBA alum in LA yesterday, and they got to tell me all about what they love in the city, how it's impacted them, and bridging that gap between this kind of shared, common, four-week, powerful virtual experience that you can have, and then connecting it to the rest of your life and where those puzzle pieces might fit looks different for everyone as part of the difficulty, but is powerful in different ways for different people, I think. It's interesting to hear a lot of this is like you guys are talking about bottom up student generated post cohort community. And say with Rite of Passage, we just had a cohort in on Wednesday and we're seeing most of the post cohort activities similar, similarly bottom up generated. But I want to hear, are there any levers you all pull to encourage students to create those bottom up groups or little nudges that you make to get people to do that? Is it really all bottom up? And, and maybe in, within that answer, you guys could talk about the discourse platform and how students use that after the cohort. When I first started working on Rite of Passage, one of our students, alum said, hey, I've taken some of Seth Godin's Akimbo workshops and you got to see this discourse. And we did a Zoom call and he, he showed me your whole sort of community that lives there. Do you think that's part of the reason students stay in touch after the cohort? How much are you guys pulling levers versus just purely bottom-up student-generated? I love this question. I haven't thought about it in these specific like terms. I, a lot of what we do is remind students that they have permission and that they have tools and resources and that they, they can go do it. So th that is the consistent message in workshops every time you're interacting and, and coming back into this space. And so I think we see, we don't bring students into the alumni community until the workshop is done. And you'll see always a one week before the end of all MBA that students are starting to self-organize because they don't 
want to miss the opportunity to, to stay connected. And we intentionally hold the tension of not sharing all of the details so that they focus on, you're here now, finish the workshop, trust the process, trust that you'll have the, the ways that you need to stay in touch. So there's tension in the end that I think really motivates people to self-organize and for it to be ground up. And we, ha- we have a huge community called Forward Link that alumni engage in on a daily basis. I think that the mastermind groups and the ways in which people stay in touch are different where they're using Slack, they might be using WhatsApp, they're using text message. So we've seen a blend of communication tool plus a space where they can be continue to connect and forward link. And we also have students retaking workshops as a way to stay connected to people that they want to keep engaging with and working with together too. So it's a big variety of ways people are staying connected. And and LinkedIn, we, we have people add to LinkedIn and just help try to make it visible for people to find each other. Do you guys host any events for alums though that that you guys create? Or is, I'm just wondering, we my first time working with Ride Passage, we had all this energy they coordinated. I made this Facebook group. This is before Circle a year and a half ago. It seems so antiquated now, but we made a Facebook group. There's all this energy. And I said, oh, we'll put them on a Facebook group and they'll stay in touch and they'll keep talking and this and that. And it was crickets. It was dead. And and one of the insights I, I, I took from that was there was no sort of forcing function of a live event to give that post-cohort community any sort of vitality. So are you guys organizing any sort of bonus workshops or calls for alums or is it all just... We do host weekly calls and it's a mix. There are sessions that we call right now, which is people coming together on Zoom to spend an hour writing. There's also productivity sessions, something called Go Go Done. So there are weekly live events happening in our alumni community that are alumni-led and we're adding, we're providing the organizational and coordination for them to have a platform to do that. But a lot of it is alumni led. And we're also releasing weekly prompts and having, you know, a, new, a weekly newsletter. So there is some communication that we're pushing out. But we've really found the structures where it's okay, we get together and we do this for this amount of time are really the ones that seem to be most impactful for students continuing to hang out and connect with each other. I believe it. Very neat to hear that you guys are running those events. And and I feel like that's the one-two punch, right? You have these weekly calls and you have that prompt sounds very interesting. And then on top of that, there's the the natural stuff bubbling up. And that seems like a magic combo where you have both. And, and is this like forward link like in, in this sort of discourse forum for alums and all these weekly calls I'm curious if this is all 10 or is this the broader akimbo? And this might be a good time, Marie, just to talk about what is akimbo and how is that different than all 10 these other courses that you all have? Yeah, I'd love to kind of hear about that. If the alumni groups are separate, if it's all one swirl of sort of Seth Godin related alums in one place. It is all workshop alumni in Forward Link. So you've got all MBA, the marketing seminar, story skills podcasting workshop. I mean, we have a writing and community now. There's the freelancers workshop, bootstrappers workshop. So there are all of these different workshops that students are a part of and then are together in the alumni community, Forward Link. The Akimbo workshops, which Alt-MBA is our flagship and our most synchronous workshop to where there is a schedule and there are deadlines and 
you have your time zone and it's, there's a very specific time element to Alt MBA. The workshops like the marketing seminar and the freelancers workshop and writing a community have been our experiment and playing in how do you create an asynchronous learning space where there is accountability, there's stickiness, there is people moving forward. Our coach ratio is very different in those workshops where we might have one coach to 150 students. The length of, the, of those workshops vary from a month like the Alt MBA all the way to a six-month workshop like Writing in Community where you're working to publish a book. So that's we've really played with and experimented a lot with asynchronous cohort-based learning in, in the workshops there and have tried a ton of things. So you'll have to pick my brain of which parts would be most interesting for me to tell you more about because there's a lot of things that we've tested and tried. And similarly, we're trying to figure out how to measure what, what metrics do we measure in our asynchronous workshops to really be able to tell if we're making progress on that. Yeah, maybe one way to one angle to take is what is one thing in terms of these workshops and uh, adjacent community that worked really well that maybe surprised you and then maybe something else you thought would be a slam dunk and you ran the small bet and it was a total dud. I think both of those would be uh, really great to hear about. Yes, I can think of one for the one where we all thought this is going to be awesome. People are going to love it. It's going to help people get their work done. We call it, and, it, and I think it does for some students. It is a really great tool. We created the ruckus board, which each Monday morning Eastern time will send out an automated announcement that says, here's who's on a streak and how long they've been on the streak. And we thought people are going to love this. They're going to comment on it every, every week. And it has not been the tool of choice or the resource that helps students move their work forward. And I think my theory is that there isn't as much interactivity. It's just, it's uh, something that's being reported out and shared, but you don't necessarily have any social bonds or peer pressure around the ruckus board. So in theory, it felt, oh yeah, people want to know their streaks. That'll help them stay accountable to the work. And it hasn't really had that impact like we thought it would. That's yes. one. And then what was the other one you wanted to? Maybe on the flip side, yeah, just something that you know you thought, hey, we'll give this a shot. We'll see. And it just took off like a rocket. So some element of either one of the workshops or the community that worked way better than you expected. Yeah, we in the creatives workshop, oh, let's have this makes sense. This is people working on work that they're whether it's a songwriting or poetry or whatever the creative work is that they're doing we'll just create a space where they can write something daily. And we're not asking students to give each other feedback in their dailies. The coaches are not in the dailies. It is simply a place to come and share some reflection or insight about the process that you're in. And you do it every single day. And that has now carried over into most of our other workshops because it's such a powerful tool for being on that journey and that self-discovery of having a space each day to share just a few thoughts and with a community that's wanting to see them and wanting to hear and will notice if you're missing too. So the dailies have been a really big element that I was surprised at how much it resonated and impacted students. Got it. Yeah, appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, and, and Marie, I think now with 10 minutes left in the discussion, I want to take a step back and ask a... A question that I, I'm sure you're asked a decent amount. 
which is given kind of these explosion of like cohort-based courses and startup accelerators and obviously alt MBA is the traditional MBA dead in your opinion? I do. I love this question. It's a, it's a popular conversation these days. I do not think the MBA is dead. I think MBAs are going to move into formats like what we're doing with Alt-MBA, where maybe it's a series of 10 of these live in real time virtual experiences and combined with some in person. But the going to a campus for two years to get your MBA, leaving the workforce to do that and learning frameworks that are not necessarily dynamic and applicable to the situation that you're in now. I think that I think we're moving away from that. I think business education and entrepreneurship education and which it involves so much of our whole selves now because the complexity of situations and just the types of organizations that we're building. So I think that's where I see the arc going is MBAs reinventing and having an important role, but starting to to take from some of what we're learning about cohort-based online education and creating an experience around that. Yeah. To me, I'm seeing really two paths emerge in industry. You have one you have lighter ways to get that training. So I think traditionally retraining has been, like you said, it's very intrusive in terms of your lifestyle. You have to leave the workforce. You have to go and you have to jump into this two-year-long program, which costs nearly quarter million dollars. And so one thing we're seeing is these kind of cohort-based courses where you're able to get the network, you're able to get core parts of the education, you're able to learn a lot because a lot of them are very much project-based but you can do this part-time and you don't have to give up your lifestyle. And you can do this in a very lightweight way with a lot of the benefits. And again, also a fraction of the cost. So another huge benefit there. The other way that I'm seeing it go is the Y Combinator model, where instead of spending two years in the classroom, you essentially just start building a business and then organizations like Y Combinator or Techstars or any of these other startup accelerators will pay you to build a business. And they also have their curriculum. And the way you pay these institutions is through equity in your business. And it is also, I found, a tremendous model if for people who want to become entrepreneurs. What are your thoughts on these two different emerging models? Yeah, the... I think those are two of the pathways that are emerging. And and I something I've been really reflecting on a lot lately is when I think about the second one you're describing, models like Y Combinator, they're they are very thoughtful, intentional systems of support. So it's designed support to help you build something really hard. And I think the complexity that is happening in the world right now and some of the challenges and just the whole like just what's happening is wild and we need support more than ever to keep going and to work on these things and to make new models and different models and evolving things so that's really something i've been focused on is how do we how do we create communities of support because i think it's more we don't want to be alone we need support to do these really challenging things so that's what's coming up for me when i hear you describe those two paths Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I guess I am just broader in a kind of a broader sense, just really fascinated to see where retraining and reskilling has is going because it really does feel like graduate schools have had this monopoly 
And I think one of the things that's actually causing this monopoly to fall apart, and it was the same mechanism all MBA used back in 2015, was this idea of virtual education, which is if you can remove the geography as a barrier to learning, you can make education way more accessible, way more affordable. And one of the things is with COVID, I feel like this was a forcing function for more people to realize, hey, like this format can work. Like learning online and having just transformational impact can work. And so if that's the case, what kinds of institutions can we create like on the cloud? And so that that's what I'm just really fascinated. And obviously you've seen some of the work that we're doing and we're really trying to push, push it forward and make it easier for these organizations and institutions to scale. Yeah, the I love that. And I, I think about also you like what you're building with virtually, all the knowledge that we've learned over the last five years with Alt MBA that will your work with what you're doing and how can we interconnect these in ways that physical institutions have had limitations. If I build a school and it has 20 buildings on it and it can have a hundred students, like that there are limitations to the physical space that are very different than how we're building virtually. And to me, there's some really exciting interconnectedness that I don't know what it looks like or how to figure it out, but the ways in which we can have a global learning platform because virtually that's possible, which a physical institution that's not, there are ways to interconnect it, but it's much different and much more challenging in some ways too. So I see a lot of excitement and ways that now that there is a large presence virtually and online, how we can start to really collaborate and make some pretty cool things happen. Amen, Marie. I, I agree. It's really fun to, I really enjoy these conversations with other people who are uh, building and delivering online learning experiences. I feel like the first time I talked to a year ago, talked to some guys in France who have an online school for entrepreneurs. This was like in March right as COVID was starting. And it was like the first time I talked to somebody who's working on these same challenges. And now there's dozens, I'm sure hundreds, thousands of people who are are working these challenges as these online courses really blossom. And I could not agree more. Let's find other ways to coordinate and have these conversations with you on that. I think one final maybe place to to end on is just the future of Alt-MBA specifically. Wes, when I've talked to Wes Cow, who I know initially created the program with Seth, she, she talks about operationalization where you have the course and over time you get into a rhythm where you don't change too much between cohorts. And my goodness, if you guys have done 47 cohorts, I'm sure a lot has been operationalized by now. But do you see major changes on the horizon for Alt-MBA in terms of trying to scale larger or attract new students or change the program? Or do you feel that it's just keep delivering what you're doing? Or I'm just curious what the next, say, one to three years looks like from your uh, perspective. From my perspective, the next three years are how do we help build a language and a and found, how do we put what we've learned into building blocks that other people can use where we have five years of experience, we all have these things. So I've been thinking a lot about that is how do we really document and share what we're doing. The the Alt MBA has changed every single session. So we have oper- operationalized it and we continue to evolve it and make it better every time. And a place that we're really evolving it now is how do we create an inclusive and equitable learning space? And what does that mean related to the, the prompts and the ideas and the students that are coming together in our sessions? So we're always adding a layer or a lens to figure out how we can contribute to deeper and richer 
learning experiences. So it's changed every single time we've run it, which is a really fun part of the work. And I think for our coaches, it's certainly we all love making it better every time. So I think, yeah, we we're very iterative. We're going to continue to run the Alt-MBA and make it better every time. And I think being a part of these larger dialogues and figuring out how we can incubate things inside of what we've got, and then also be testing and trying new things too. So it's very much still a work in progress and yeah, figuring out how we can leverage that, I think is where we're starting to really focus. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Really focused on helping teach other course creators and and that's really great. So appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And Marie, really appreciate you coming on. If For anybody who's here in the live audience or listening to the recording after the fact, Marie, is there anything that you'd want to share with them in terms of how they can learn more about Alt-MBA or uh, participate in the upcoming cohort? Sure. Yeah. Akimbo.com is where you can find all of our workshop offerings. And we also run the Real Skills Conference, which is a two-hour experience and just a great way to get a glimpse into some of the things that we're we're doing. But yeah, would love to connect. You can find me Marie at altmba.com and would love to to see you in one of our workshops at some point. And really appreciate Will and Ish for hosting and for all the the people who joined the call. And I saw a couple of coaches, Covington was here earlier and batch too. So shout out to some of our coaches. Amazing. Awesome. And and just quick outros for those that might have joined late. Marie is the provost of Alt MBA. Yosh is is also somebody who's been a coach for Alt MBA and working on a really neat new startup. You should definitely go learn more about that in his bio. And with that, Will, do you want to let the audience know how they can keep up with future sessions and let them know the session we have lined up for next week? Absolutely. So we do this every Monday at 9 Eastern Future of Education Club. Talk to people building things in the education and technology space. Next week, we have a special session on how to start building your second brain with Tiago Forte, creator of Building a Second Brain, and Sahil Lavignia. He is the creator uh, and CEO of Gumroad. And so the two of them will be talking about how to start creating your second brain, have some sort of actionable exercises you can do if, if you're new to the second brain world. So if you're interested in that or future sessions, you can hit that little greenhouse next to our club name follow the club we'd love to have you back future weeks and yeah again just want to say thank you to marie and yash as well yash great to have you back and hear your perspective too thanks so much guys that's about it until next time we are the future of education club thanks so much yep have a good one guys take care and that was the rebroadcast of our alt mba session that we hosted a couple weeks ago on clubhouse if you want to get notified about future sessions, go on over to futureofeducation.club. And if you want to check out what we're building at Virtually, go on over to tryvirtually.com. And if you enjoyed the episode, would really appreciate a follow or a review on your favorite podcast player. It really helps get the word out. With that, this is Ish, signing off.